What's happening, guys? Sam Adams here, and welcome to a brand new episode of Cabinet Today for January the 21st of 2019. My name is Samuel Adams, and welcome to the show, now live on youtube.com slash Media. Now, the big question here is, am I actually doing this correctly? Because that's kind of what I have on my mind. At the moment, this is an idea that I had thrown around before the show even began. And I was like, hey, let's bring it back to YouTube where it kind of sort of belongs when it comes down to it, uh, because that's where the show was originally supposed to be. And I made that happen in a very short period of time. So if there are some editing issues in this episode, I do apologize, but I think I should be able to make everything flow. With that being said, for those that are brand new to the show, this is a daily gaming news podcast where I bring you the hottest gaming news from around the industry, and I pack it in one tight, neat little package for you to enjoy on your day-to-day -day basis. And of course, the show is hosted live five days a week on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media. And of course, the VOD is saved. It's then put up on podcast services around the world for you to enjoy. And you can always check out the show live again, five nights a week. Now, the big question, what are we talking about tonight? First off, Fortnite has killed it, as we all know, and 2018 was the biggest year for the game. Of course, it took off like wildfire, has become a worldwide sensation, and on top of all of that, it made roughly $2.4 billion last year alone. On top of that, we'll talk about the brand new Ice Storm event that is blanketing the map in snow. Soldier Boy promises Fortnite on his next gaming console, but Epic immediately calls him out. That's not happening, so... Don't go out and buy your soldier games just yet. Now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I believe that's how you say her name, has been featured on a charity Twitch stream to support the rights of trans teens and the ability to help them. Uh, and we'll talk more about that blending of politics and video games and internet mediums uh, a little bit more tonight. PUBG players have discovered the game's frame rate directly affects weapon recoil. Valve's card game artifact is currently running out of players. Mortal Kombat 11 has a closed beta that is in fact exclusive to the PS4 and the Xbox One, and we will remind you guys of the Machinima situation, which I made a video on over the course of last weekend, which you can check out right now on the channel, where essentially classic Machinima videos are now gone. So those are pretty much the topics for tonight, and I do hope you do enjoy today's show. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it. First off, Fortnite made an estimated $2.4 billion last year. That, my friends, is a lot of skins and a lot of V-Bucks. In 2018, Fortnite became a full-fledged pop culture phenomenon, one that has turned out to be incredibly lucrative, according to analyst firm Superdata. Fortnite was the top-grossing free-to-play game in the world last year, ranking in an estimated $2.4 billion over 12 months. While much of Fortnite's revenue comes from selling character skins and emotes, Superdata says that 34% of all U.S. players also purchased a seasonal battle pass, a feature that has since made its way to other online games like PUBG and Rocket League, and now Ring of Elysium. For comparison, according to Superdata's findings, Fortnite made significantly more than established free-to-play games like Tencent's Honor of Kings, known as Arena of Valor in the West, which made about $1.3 billion, League of Legends with $1.4 billion, Pokemon Go with $1.1 billion, and even Candy Crush Saga with $1 billion. While also more than doubling the amount earned by the top-grossing premium game PUBG, $1.035 billion. Meanwhile, according to mobile analyst firm App Annie, Fortnite was among the top five most downloaded mobile games in the US, UK, and even Canada. That's right, even Canada got in on the action. When Canada's getting in on it, you know that something is without a doubt going on when it comes to 
just how amazing the game itself actually is. Uh, but Fortnite's offer 2018 is a big number, but it shouldn't be too surprising. In April, Superdata reported monthly revenue of $300 million, something we talked about on previous episodes of Cabinet. And since then, the game has only become more popular and expanded to new platforms like Android and the Nintendo Switch. So Fortnite, as we all know, is continuing to be a worldwide sensation that is looking to be pretty much unstoppable over the course of the next few years. Uh, because quite frankly, with every single update, they seem to improve the game in some way, shape, or form, arguably. Now, right now, there is this big event going on, which is a good transition into the next story, which is the Fortnite Ice Storm event. It's blanketing the map in snow, and it's bringing back, essentially, zombies. That's pretty much what you have here, which were featured earlier in a uh, previous season of Fortnite. I believe it was either around five or six, something like that. I don't know. Fortnite has had its share of map-changing events, but its latest might be the most conspicuous to date. Epic kicked off its Ice Storm event on January the 19th through an endgame spectacle where the mysterious Ice Sphere, added with the recent 7.2 patch, broke open to reveal the Ice King, who properly blanketed the entire map in snow and populated it with undead ice fiends. Unlike some events, it won't matter where you prefer to drop, you'll be more conspicuous unless you have the right outfit, that is, and may have to fend off zombie adversaries. Ice Storm appears to have introduced even more secrets in the process. There are multiple eggs inside Polar Peak's dungeon, and there is a bunker underneath the former Happy Hamlet iceberg. I can't believe I just said that sentence. You have new theme challenges to take on as well, such as wasting ice fiends. Epic clearly wants you to keep coming back to Fortnite, even if you have missed the initial drama. And so again, like I said, they continue to change the game and bring people back with these enticing smaller events within the game itself uh, that are, quite frankly, a genius way to get people to come back because everybody is always trying to get our attention as gamers. That's just kind of what it comes down to. Uh, you know, you have people releasing updates for games, releasing DLCs, new games coming out. Uh, we have Anthem and The Division 2 that are pretty much the two big games that are next up uh, to be, you know, broken down when it comes to streaming and, and Twitch and Mixer and all of that good stuff and also general gaming as it goes. Uh, so, Fortnite is continuing to bring people back uh, by rolling out these brand new updates and these fun community events, and this one is no different. So, why did it make an estimated $2.4 billion over 12 months of 2018? Because they just keep people coming back time and time and time again for good reason. It's a solid experience. Uh, so with that being said, if you do want to dive in right now, Fortnite is out on the PS4, Xbox One, PC, Switch, mobile platforms, Android, and iOS. And I think that pretty much covers it. That's that's about it. Uh, but with that being said, it's not going to be coming out on the Soldier game. Even though Soldier Boy has promised that Fortnite is in fact going to be on his next gaming console. Every game on here is licensed. Soldier Boy speaks up to defend his questionable gaming company. Sure it is. Do you know what licensing is? Uh, say all what you want about artists turned legally questionable entrepreneur Soldier Boy's business practices, but the purveyor of unlicensed and horribly overpriced gaming emulators refuses to back down from an uphill battle. After flogging a bizarre lineup of plug-and-play consoles last year before having them pulled from his online store, Soldier Boy, real name DeAndre Cortez Way, doubled down on his efforts by auctioning all manner of knockoff hardware from DVD players to weird PSP rip-offs. 
Goodness knows how his legal team is handling it all, but the rapper recently appeared on the Everyday Struggle podcast to talk about his ongoing exploits in the games market, defending his range of products as perfectly valid purchases, and even suggesting that Nintendo has expressed interest in working with him in the future. Quote, it's not a scam, explained Cortez Way when questioned about the pricing and operating system of his home system, the Soldier Box. Every game on here is licensed. There are three, 800, excuse me, pre-installed games that are licensed. I sold a million dollars in one day and Nintendo approached me because they're trying to see what is going on or what the F is going on, he says. I choose to not say that. Uh, this young black kid made a million dollars in 24 hours and our games are on his consoles. We want in. Sure, they said that. Uh, the debate didn't end there, however. When asked whether Fortnite will be playable on the Soldier Box, Cortez Way said, yes, we're working on it. Not this one, on the next one you can. That's quite the promise, except Epic Games, Fortnite's developer, has already called it out as bogus. In a statement to DualShockers, Epic's senior PR manager Nick Chester responded to Soldier Boy's comment by explaining that no, you can't play Fortnite on a rooted or jailbroken device due to the anti-cheat measures. So there you have it. Those who are excited to play Fortnite on the next generation of Soldier Boxes will sadly have to make do with more unlicensed ROMs from a variety variety of consoles past and present. We've reached out to Cortez Way, they say, at Games Radar to see if he wishes to respond to Epic's clarification, but I am sure this will not be the last we're hearing of Soldier Boy and his brand of sketchy gaming hardware. This story continues to become stranger and stranger as time continues to go on. For those that don't know, basically there is this giant line of Soldier Boy themed game consoles that are literally marketed and licensed and, and put out by him. I don't licensed is a, is a strong use of that word, uh, but essentially a ton of consoles that are knockoffs of more popular consoles that have tons of illegal ROMs put on them for sale for ludicrous prices because you can get them all on Amazon for around $50. That's the, the entire package, like games, console, everything for around $50. Uh, but it seems like he is now backing down from this and repeatedly continues to push his gaming company. And to be fair, I've talked about the Soldier Game consoles more than I have Xbox in the past three weeks, so maybe he's onto something here. Probably not, unless he's looking for a giant fine. Uh, with that being said, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that he is calling these people out and even blatantly lying about some of the people that he's working with uh, so far as to get a legitimate response from these companies. So, hey, you know... I can't hate on the hustle, but I will say it's not going to work out in any kind of pretty way, without a doubt. But looking back, you know, in 5 to 10 years, 20 years, whatever you want to call it, uh, whenever you're talking about collectibles in the gaming culture, whenever you're talking about uh, what is going to be looked upon as some of the rarest of the rare, I think that these little consoles are going to have something to say uh, for their value whenever you're looking back and saying, what was the weirdest thing that came out around the late 2000s or late 2010s? It was, without a doubt, the Soldier Boy. Because you never know what it, I mean, it's, it's just so strange. Now, with that being said, would recommend buying one, but as of right now, they are still up for sale on the official storefront of Soldier Boy and the Soldier Box and the Soldier Game, which again, they all just look like PS Vita knockoffs to me and, and other kinds of hardware. With that being said, let's move on to the next topic of the day, which is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez guest starring on a Donkey Kong 64 Twitch stream. The fundraising stream amassed $340,000 for a charity that helps trans children. And of course, this is the newly elected representative uh, that is pretty much shaking up Congress right now. So that's kind of an interesting aside. 
Having conquered Twitter and Instagram, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez jumped on Donkey Kong 64's Twitch live stream on Sunday to clap back at Aaron Sorkin her, and, and voice her support for trans rights. Excuse me. The stream in question was YouTuber H Bomber Guy's fundraiser for Mermaids, a U UK charity that provides support for gender diverse and transgender children. Can't read tonight. H Bomber Guy, real name Harry Brewis, has said he started his stream to spite comedy writer Graham Linen, Father Ted, and the It crowd, or the IT crowd, who wrote a since-deleted forum message urging people to oppose a $643,000 grant given to mermaids from the UK's National Lottery. Quote, I chose to support this charity because as a person living in Britain, I find the media discussion surrounding this issue in my country, especially in its tabloids, to be woefully misinformed, added Brewis. Ocasio-Cortez cameo on the stream came about as part of her own response to Sorkin, who, in an appearance on CNN on Sunday, criticized young Democrats for being distracted by Republican talking points like transgender bathrooms. After subtweeting Sorkin in a Twitter thread, the Democrat went on to promote the Mermaid's fundraiser in a subsequent tweet. And so, she then took it a step further by joining Discord to chat with Brewis about her love for the N64. Quote, probably the best system out of all of them, thanks to games like Super Mario 64 and Pokemon Snap. She also touched upon the discrimination faced by the trans community. Quote, it makes these issues much more acute in their crises than they usually are on average for other people, she said. So it's important that we do talk about these issues in the economic frame, but not let go of the fact that discrimination is a core reason for the economic hardship. After 57 hours of streaming, H Bomber Guy completed the game and raised over $340,000 for mermaids. Other notable appearances during the broadcast included American activist Chelsea Manning and Doom co-creator John Romero. And so, number one, cool, $340,000 raised for a solid cause, uh, one that I think should definitely be in the limelight for a hot minute, because right now, it's a weird time for people in that specific section of the LGBTQ community. Uh, so, whatever you want to throw their way to help them, that's a pretty good option for me. And uh, it's cool to see that politics and, and gaming are beginning to work together, and in a way, it's also very dangerous. So, I want to kind of talk about that entire concept very quickly. Basically, the way that I perceive this entire situation is that whether you're on this team or on another team, the fact that a large, I guess, leader in the United States in a way, somebody who is definitely making waves, is using the fact that they're using this Twitch platform to further any kind of message or to reach an audience that normally would be either disconnected or ignorant uh, from what is happening is something that I think is very uh, admirable. I think it's very uh, interesting. I think it's something that we're going to be seeing more and more of because instead of staying on Capitol Hill, you literally go down in the trenches, which in this case happens to be a Twitch live stream and a Discord server. Uh, so this is something we're going to be seeing more and more as there is an increasingly large number of young people entering into the political space. Uh, so prepare yourself for seeing more politicians get on Twitch streams, more politicians get on YouTube and, and Facebook and do all these things uh, to connect with people that are in a different generation that communicate differently. I think that's really what it comes down to. So interesting, regardless, uh, to see that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is guest starring on a Donkey Kong 64 Twitch stream. Never would have expected that to be a headline that I read in 2019, but here we are. Again, as I said earlier, strange, strange times we're living in. But hey, interesting story nonetheless. Now, on top of everything, PUBG players have discovered that the game's frame rate directly affects weapon recoil. 
Oh shoot! Over the last few months, a few dedicated fans have been researching how weapon recoil works in Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. While this is typically done to evaluate which weapons are the best or how to better utilize them in certain situations, the results of this testing have turned up an interesting conclusion. Instead of some guns just being outright better than others, it turns out that the frame rate of PUBG directly affects the recoil of particular weapons. A YouTuber by the name of WackyJackie101 if you're looking for a username, that's the first thing that it comes to my mind, has uploaded a short video that showcases how capping PUBG at 30 frames per second will result in noticeably more controllable weapon recoil for certain firearms. While something like the AKM doesn't have a dramatic change, it fires fairly slowly, the M249 becomes a monster at the lower refresh rate. And another surprising twist, limiting your frame rate also lowers the rate of fire for some guns. While this makes fast firing weapons turn out to be less powerful, it does increase their overall accuracy and allow you to land more hits at greater distances. Taking it one step further, Reddit user Mutu22, again, if you're looking for a username, first thing that comes to mind, decided to try some arbitrary frame rates to test Wacky Jackie 101's conclusion. It turns out the issue is a lot bigger than just lower frame rate equals more accuracy. If your frame rate fluctuates a lot, as would be the case while playing without V-Sync, the weapon recoil rates will be all over the scale. That explains why I'm so bad at PUBG. We're going to go with that. Something like the AKM produces similar results at 30 and 60 FPS because its coded fire rate syncs up with those values. Playing the game at something like 31 FPS, though, will cause a much bigger change in that value. Using the formula that Mutu22 has come up with, you can determine the best possible frame rate for each weapon based on its coded fire rate. There's a big spreadsheet with numbers for each weapon if you are curious. Now, the author is not going to write all of this and pretend the average player will notice these results. Many people just point and shoot and don't worry about too much about how the game calculates bullet travel. While that's perfectly fine, these results do show that a lot of the reason you might be losing is because of the game has wildly different ballistics based on things out of your control. PUBG has never been the most stable of games, but it has been out for more than a year as a full release, therefore out of early access. You would think issues with frame rate wouldn't still be cropping up, but even high-end machines still have issues running the game. Due to all of that, it seems the average user without much knowledge of locking frame rates or maximizing FPS will always be at a disadvantage now. And so that's pretty much all there is to say about the story, but I wanted to talk about this on the podcast today because I think it's very significant uh, that you do have a game that is as competitive and is as esports oriented as PUBG uh, and it has this specific type of issue where literally an uncapped frame rate that isn't using VSync can very drastically change the way that you are experiencing the game and therefore it can really impact your overall performance and if you are doing any kind of any kind of amateur you know competition any kind of tournament uh, stuff like that even practicing for a big scrimmage or something like that if you are trying to land a spot on an esports team you are going to be able to tell a difference if you are playing at 30 fps versus 60 fps or above or somewhere in the middle uh, so this is something that needs to be patched asap and it's also something that really should never have been a problem to begin with uh, but i digress just something to think about there crazy to think that PUBG Corp still has issues with a game that has been out in full for over a year uh, whenever competitors have not had these kind of issues. I digress. I will say that I'm not going to be throwing PUBG under the bus completely in any way, shape, or form. The game that I played in, I suppose, maybe around May of last year, 
maybe March of last year, somewhere around there, is no longer in existence. That game has completely and totally changed. PUBG is a brand new experience. If it's been over a year since you've played PUBG, I encourage you to go back and give it a shot uh, because the gameplay is just a completely different beast and the maps are incredibly diverse. Uh, it's a very cool experience, but one that still needs a good bit of work. But hey, you know, every game needs a good bit of work including Valve's card game known as Artifact because it's already running out of players. Ooh. The collectible card game Artifact released on November the 28th and had 60,740 concurrent players that day. A good start, but it was all downhill from there. Last night, its total concurrent players dipped just below 1,500 for the first time ever, a 97.5% drop from launch. Yes, many online games struggle to find an audience on Steam, but not usually the ones made by Valve itself. Today, Artifact Game is currently ranked 145 on Steam charts out of all the games being played on Steam. That wedges it in between Dark Souls 2 and Assassin's Creed Origins, two single-player games that have been out for over a year. Even Portal 2, Valve's much-praised puzzler from 2011, currently has more players online than Artifact. The Dota 2-inspired card game caught some negative press early on when it came out that there was no way to get new cards without paying money. Contrary to the free-to-play model established by most successful digital card games of the last few years, Blizzard's Hearthstone, Valve, decided to change $20, charge excuse me, $20 for Artifact and also for tickets to compete in its gauntlet mode, where prizes could be earned. Artifact cards can also be resold between players, creating a secondary market where players can pay money directly for better decks. Now, the author did write at the time that this alternative model didn't feel unusually onerous, and they still think that, but it's become clear in the weeks since that model is not attracting players to the game. An early round of review bombing by people angry with the game's monetization scheme has only given way to more negative reviews, despite Valve's initial attempts to make Artifact more balanced and add a way to earn new packs simply by playing the game. A December 11th update added two sorely needed features, leaderboards with certain modes, and a chat wheel that let players communicate with one another during matches. On December the 20th, Valve released another big update, this time rebalancing some of the more overpowered cards, and more importantly, adding skill ratings for players and a leveling system to allow players to earn free card packs after reaching certain milestones. Players, however, remained unimpressed since they continued to steadily leave the game in subsequent weeks. Some of them have complaints about the game's reliance on RNG mechanics, while others say they're tired of having to continually pay for tickets to compete in the game's prize modes. The Marketplace tells a similar story. Back when Artifact was released, the total cost to buy a full set of cards was around $294, and by mid-December it was down to $200. Today, it dipped just below $100, and that's not a bad thing in and of itself. As more players open up more card packs, the overall price should slowly trend downward, but the quick decline of the first month and a half is also an indicator that Artifact isn't winning any new players who might drive fresh demand. Artifact received two minor updates last week, the first on January 10th, tinkered with some of the chat options, adding bindable keys for custom messages, and decreasing the amount of time on player clocks during matches in an attempt to make them shorter overall. The second on January 11th changed even less, fixing two minor bugs and removing the surrender notification. The Artifact Twitter account has not been updated since December the 21st. That's been one month today. That's not how you do PR, my dude. Valve has said it is in it for the long haul when it comes to Artifact, but it's not clear what shape that investment will take in the short and medium term. In March 2018, Valve CEO Gabe Newell announced that Artifact would have its first major competitive tournament, featuring a prize pool of $1 million earlier this year. It's possible that that could be when the company makes a big push to try and revive the game, although there has not been any real news since on the details surrounding that event. 
and they have reached out to Valve for comment, but nothing as of right now. So Artifact and the situation surrounding it is something that is a painful reminder of how just because a company makes a game and that company happens to be previously successful, uh, there is no guarantee that that game is going to automatically take off, and Artifact is a perfect example of that. Whenever you have a bad start, such as what we've seen here with Artifact with pretty much uh, an unfair setup uh, at the very beginning of the game's life, you begin to lose players and bleed right out of the gate. And so whenever people begin to go away from the game directly after they buy it or even refund it, uh, that is when you begin to realize that a mistake has been made and the future of the game is not looking good, which is where we are today. Uh, now, with that being said, what needs to happen with this game is that immediately it needs to go free to play. Immediately, it needs to literally copy and paste what Hearthstone is doing in today's day and age and do that. Because Hearthstone is one of the most popular card games out there. I would think it would be one of the most popular card games ever uh, in the realm of like Magic the Gathering and stuff along those lines. It is just a massive powerhouse and even something uh, that anybody can pick up. So to be able to emulate that is what Valve needs to do. Now, some people would say, you know, where's the originality in that? Uh, where is the individuality in that? When you compare Artifact to Hearthstone, is that not just copying somebody else's idea and not bringing anything new to the table? Maybe, but with that being said, bring your own skew to that and make your own experience because there is not one original idea out there in the world. You know, even this podcast idea came from something else. You know, that's that's pretty much what it comes down to. Uh, so you have to take inspiration from other people and really make it into your own thing. With that being said, Artifact not looking too good right now. But with that being said, what is looking good is Mortal Kombat 11. Now, if you did want to dive in on the beta of this, uh, then I have some bad news if you are playing on PC or the Nintendo Switch, because right now the beta is indeed exclusive to the PS4 and the Xbox One. During the Mortal Kombat 11 reveal event, a beta received an official announcement. At the time, it was noted that pre-ordering from select retailers would grant PS4 and Xbox One owners access to the beta. However, it was unclear whether PC and Nintendo Switch players would eventually hear similar news. Apparently, that isn't the case. Updates to the fact page for Mortal Kombat's support site suggested the beta is indeed exclusive to PS4 and the Xbox One. At the bottom of that page, beneath a question concerning the beta potentially appearing on all platforms, the following appears, quote, No, the beta will only be available for the PS4, PS4 Pro, Xbox One, and Xbox One X. A more straightforward response could not have been written, yet it does beg the question of why all platforms are not receiving beta support. Two different teams are developing Mortal Kombat 11's PC and Switch ports, QLOC and Shiver Entertainment, respectively. This could explain the lack of beta support for the two platforms, but details on the matter are currently being kept under wraps. Also being kept a secret is the remainder of the game's roster. During the reveal event, only a handful of combatants were unveiled, and when NetherRealm intends to unleash information about the rest of the cast remains to be unseen. But that doesn't matter because I am still incredibly incredibly excited about this game uh, as i've been saying on podcast episodes in the past couple of weeks since the reveal of this game at the game awards 2018 i don't play fighting games i'm not good at fighting games but i still love to watch some mortal Kombat, especially when people can absolutely own at the game that's what i love uh, so i'm excited personally to see where the game goes and what it is able to do uh, as it really begins to come into its own but to hear that the beta is only on the ps4 and the xbox one isn't surprising since that's the only in-house version of the game that is being developed as the article does say the other two are being developed by external companies so essentially the pc version is going to be pc skewed the nintendo switch version is going to be toned down in a way 
uh, in a similar kind of fashion that Bethesda contacted an external company to create the Nintendo Switch port of Doom. Uh, that's pretty much what you're seeing here. Now, that is going to be a, a, a big question raiser in a way of, well, which version of the game is going to be the best. I think they're all going to be respectable versions of Mortal Kombat 11. I think that whenever you're playing on PC, you're going to be getting an experience that is catering to that PC audience. When you're playing on PS4 and Xbox One, that's pretty much what they expect the game to be like from an internal kind of perspective. And Nintendo Switch, sure, you're going to have a couple of, you know, dulled down areas of the game. The textures aren't going to look so crisp. Uh, it will more than likely run at a lower, you know, frame rate or something along those lines. But still, the fact that the game is going to be coming out on all these various platforms is something that is very impressive and without a doubt will be a big benefit going forward, especially to Nintendo Switch fans, which again, I didn't think this game would come to the Switch. I won't even lie about that. Shocking to see. Glad to see it, though. Glad to see it. Now, to wrap up today's show, all of Machinima's videos were removed without any prior warning. Now, I wanted to put this on today's episode of Caffeinate because it was a late-breaking story on Friday, so I couldn't really add it to the show because the show had concluded before the news broke, or actually right around as the news broke. But I did make a video on this on Saturday, if you do want to go back and check that out. It will also be linked after this video in the in-screen cards. Uh, but with that being said, you don't know what you got till it's gone. This is coming to us from Destructoid. A huge swath of video game related video content was erased with one fell swoop yesterday. Machinima, a large network of YouTube gaming channels, had all of its videos removed without any sort of prior warning given to the creators. This comes as a result of the planned merger with Elation, which is part of Otter Media, which is actually a division of AT&T and Warner Media. In a correction, a representative has reached out to clarify that Elation is not involved, but rather is part of a much larger merger within Otter Media. Rooster Teeth's Lawrence Sontag, who is producer of the Funhouse series, was one of the first to discover the mass removal. Sontag used to work for Machinima as a key member of the Inside Gaming team. In a Twitch clip, he shed some light inside why AT&T and WarnerMedia opted to functional, or functionally excuse me, erase thousands of hours of content. The videos were technically set to private, but they are essentially gone. He says, and I quote, Warner at this point cannot verify the copyrights to all videos in Machinima's network, and there are a ton of videos, he says. It costs a lot of money to do it, and this is on videos that aren't getting any views, so they cut it loose. That's that, it's a business, that's how it goes, man. This seemingly caught everybody by surprise, even the people who are still creating content for Machinima. Some YouTubers with Machinima contracts received an email that said their contracts were transferred to full screen, which is part of Otter Media's portfolio of companies. Others were told they were being, quite frankly, dropped from the network. Moving forward, it's anyone's guess as to what AT&T plans to do with the Machinima network. It's still a valuable channel as it has approximately 12.4 million subscribers on YouTube. But this story isn't about the future, it's about the thousands of hours of original video game content that suddenly disappeared into the other. Beloved series like Two Best Friends Play, RB and the Chief, Teenage Pokemon, which was created by Destructoid's own Jonathan Holmes, and so many more. And as I said in my video, Battlefield Friends. Battlefield Friends. It's good stuff, man. It feels irresponsible to talk about the legacy of Machinima without mentioning that Machinima had a reputation for locking a lot of its creators into predatory contracts. For that reason, many people will celebrate that it's essentially dead, at least as we once knew it. But Machinima also hosted so much original video game-centric content, and a lot of it came in the early days of internet video production. It grew fast and became one of YouTube's largest channels, and it hosted an overwhelming amount of content, and now that's all gone. As you can see, it's still gone, uh, and I thought personally that it might come back 
by now, but apparently it's just gone forever. Uh, so again, as I said in my video on Saturday, this is massive because so many people that are big time creators on YouTube today got their start or were affiliated directly with the machinima group you know that's pretty much a big part of youtube culture of youtube lore of youtube history and internet history overall and i think it was very impactful to delete all these videos because so many people including myself uh, grew up and kind of came into age while these were being pumped out i think that's the biggest thing that i want to drive home here and that's one of the biggest reflections i've seen uh, from comments that i've gotten on my video that i uploaded on saturday uh, a lot of people are saying i went to go back and watch an episode of battlefield friends and it's gone i went back to go check out some of my favorites from my childhood and they're no longer available what is going on and people are just kind of disappointed in this you know it's still something that although it wasn't getting thousands and thousands of views every day that people still had a passion for and a love for and it's weird to see it gone uh, but with that being said will they come back again still up in the air you never really know it, it's just one of those corporatized weird situations that nobody is really comfortable with but if you want more information again that video will be linked below and in the end of the screen you know before the video officially concludes uh, but with that being said that wraps it up for today's episode of caffeinate if you enjoyed the show be sure to drop me a like down below and to mr gibby in the chat who says love the content man i appreciate it and i hope you do come back for more uh, but as for right now if you want to go ahead and subscribe to the page if you want to go ahead and like me on twitter or follow me on twitter whatever the kids are doing over there these days uh, at pretty chill guy and uh, again tomorrow we will reconvene for a brand new episode of cavernate which is hosted five days a week right here on youtube.com slash samuel adams media with that being said we are going to get better overall with the fact that you know we're on youtube now so you got to really kind of integrate everything into one big video phenomenon which can be kind of difficult but we're going to do it so anyways i hope you guys have a fantastic one i will talk to you soon and peace